chapter 2, verse 1, and it came about in the month Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him. And I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, what would you request? So I prayed to the God in heaven. I said to the king, if it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, Send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, How long will your journey be, and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me, and I gave him a definite time. I said to the king, If it please the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah and a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, for the wall of the city, and for the house to which I will go. And the king granted them to me, because the good hand of my God was on me. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, and gave them the king's letter. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. When Sanballat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite official, heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem and was there three days. May God bless the reading of his word. As I began my message this week, I began to think maybe some of you are wondering why we're in the book of Nehemiah and why I've entitled it God's Work, God's Way. Well, the reason is, is for the past year and a half, we've been in the book of John as a church. And I truly believe that one of the roles that God has given me as the pastor is that I'm, I'm supposed to bring the Word of God to you, but also God has called me to, to seek His vision for our church And so when I'm teaching a book, it's not just like willy-nilly, I'm going to come up with some book. I mean, I really seek the Lord. What do you want to do? What do you want to share with the church? And I really believe that John was the book for that season of our church because John is an evangelistic letter. John says, I write these things in hopes that you may believe. And guys, we saw a lot of people come to faith in that year and a half. We had many people after services give their lives to Christ. And that year and a half, we baptized over 25 different people. In the last five months, we baptized over 15. God's moved through that evangelistically in our church. But now He's shifting to this book. Why? Because I truly believe that God wants us to get busy, that He wants us to do the works of ministry, that He doesn't want us to be just attenders, but He wants us active. Why? Because He's active. God is not passive. He actively serves us, and He wants us actively serving Him. 
Now, as we move into chapter 2 this morning, we already saw that Nehemiah's brother, his, his name was Hanani. He had come from Jerusalem to the Persian capital of Susa, and he had bad news. Jerusalem was in shambles, and the people were suffering. And Nehemiah, he has this humble and broken spirit. He hears that news, and he's moved with compassion. And it wasn't just emotion. God's Spirit was upon him and, and was there moving him, preparing him because this was God's man. He was going to use Nehemiah because Nehemiah was a man of faith and he was willing to move out in faith. And faith is so important for us to have as individuals that know Jesus Christ. Now, the Bible gives a definition of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And biblical faith is not some emotion or just a mystical experience. And it's not just, I, I believe, I believe, in, in hopes that your faith is going to move God like you have power within yourself. That's faith in faith. Biblical faith has the object of your faith. The object of our faith is Jesus Christ. And biblical faith is trusting in what God has said in His Word and in the promises that God has made. And by faith, we say, yes, Lord, I will move out and I will trust you. And that's exactly who Nehemiah is and exactly what God does in his life. Nehemiah was ready. And the Bible calls us to be ready people of faith. And when He calls us to serve, we say, yes, Lord. Now, the problem we have in America, and I think particularly in Orange County, is moving out and serving the Lord isn't really a major goal in our county. I would say the major thing in our county is really relaxation, having fun, for some people, their goal in life really is to work so that they can get to the end and just stop and do nothing. But can I tell you something? The Bible never speaks about a person that knows God as being in retirement. Now, there is a time of rest, and there is a time to slow down depending on that, where you're at. But if you have breath, then God has called us to be ready to serve, and that's who exactly Nehemiah is. So what we'll see this morning is three things that we should do as God's children when God calls us to serve. So what should we do when God calls us to serve? First thing, we actively wait by faith. We actively wait by faith. Guys, we live at a time when waiting for anything is almost unheard of. But there are times, particularly when God calls us, that we're called to wait but it's not passive, it's active. Look at verses 1 through 4 again. It says, And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, the wine was before him, and I took up the wine and I gave it to the king. Now I had, now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. And then I was very much afraid. And I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? And the king said to me, what would you request? 
And so I prayed to the God of heaven. Now understand, Nehemiah, he had a great job for that time period. He was the cupbearer to the king. And although there were risks with that, there was also much benefits. He had unlimited access to the king. He lived in opulence. He had power in that kingdom. But also Nehemiah was a man of faith. He was God's man for that moment. And God lays this burden on Nehemiah's heart. And when God begins a call in your life, it usually starts there. It starts with a burden. It's, sometimes it's almost unexplainable. I, I feel like God's calling me to do this or something to help, and I'm not sure exactly what to do with that, and it just doesn't seem to leave. If anything, it begins to intensify. And when Nehemiah heard about Jerusalem and about the people, he realized this is God's land. This is God's people, and it moved him. It moved him. But it wasn't just emotion. He realized that he needed to do something, that God was calling him to be active. And he wanted to move and be faithful. But he also understood that God would have to open up the doors, provide the solution. And by faith, Nehemiah was, a, was very aware that God was calling him to be a part of this restoration in Jerusalem. And he understands that this is a huge task but he also understands that he has a huge God that can do amazing things. But he knows that he also has to have the blessing of the king. And so he's, he's moved, but he also knows he needs to wait for that blessing, for that open door. But his waiting isn't passive. He actively waits. What did he do first when Nehemiah began to fast and pray? And we remember last week when we were in chapter 1, when Nehemiah heard the words, what happened to the city, he, he mourned for the city. And he knows he needs to wait for God to move. But then he begins, while he's waiting, to fast and pray. Look at, in chapter 1, verse 4 of Nehemiah, it says, when I heard these words, I sat down and I wept and I mourned for days and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. Now, fasting and praying is the humble act of coming before God. Prayer itself is, is humble. You're acknowledging you need God's help. Fasting is the willingness to give up something you care about, like food, and then approaching the Lord in humble service, seeking His will, waiting on His timing. Now, Jesus taught about fasting in the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus said that fasting should be done in private, that you don't let people know that you're fasting. Why? Because you don't want anybody kind of patting you on the back, oh, poor you, any of that kind of stuff. No, you want to come before the Lord humbly and wait for Him to move. And this is exactly what Nehemiah did. He fasted and prayed. He was a man of faith. And his faith was put on display and he knew he needed favor with the king. And in chapter 1, verse 11, he began to pray and he said, Oh Lord, I beseech you, may your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and the prayer of your servants who delight to revere your name and make your servant successful today and grant him compassion before this man today. He was the cupbearer to the king. Nehemiah prays, Lord, make me successful today. Give me compassion before this man. That man is the king. He knows that he has to wait for God to open the door. 
He knows God has called him. He feels the burden. He knows God is asking him to do something. So what does he do? He begins to wait, but he's active. He's praying. He's waiting. Now, how do I know he, he waited for a period of time? Well, we know in chapter 1, verse 1, that the month was Cheslev. That's December. Chapter 2 begins the month of Nisan. That's four months later. Nehemiah was active in praying and fasting for four months. But can I tell you, he was also active in service. He's actively praying. He's waiting actively. He's seeking the Lord and fasting. But also, he served as the cupbearer. He didn't give up his job and kind of cloister himself somewhere and and just kind of give everything up. No, he was actively pursuing the very job that God had called him into. Do you know that whatever profession you're in, it actually can honor God if you honor God in that profession? And you actively serve in any way that God has you, in any place that He has you. And this is exactly what Nehemiah did. Have you ever had a problem and and somebody comes up to you and they say, you know, why don't you just go and pray and and trust God and and lay it at, at His feet and And so you go and you pray and you say, oh God, I need help and and give me patience, God, today. And then you wait. And then a day goes by and then a week goes by and nothing. And then a month goes by and nothing. And then it's two months and, and you just don't see the movement yet. And that's exactly where Nehemiah's at. But he's not passive. He's moving. He's waiting. He's seeking He wants God to open the door, and God does open the door. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. It says, and it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence, so the king said to me, why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah, for four months, did a really good job of hiding his sadness. But suddenly, he's before the king. And for whatever reason, it doesn't say, but that day, his heart is broken. He knows that the people are suffering. He understands that the walls are broken down. And the king sees it. But for Nehemiah, I think he realized, I've been asking God to open the door. And when the king started talking that he was sad, I think he realized, whoa, this is it. The door's opening. This is the moment. And the king says to him, why is your face sad though you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Now, it's interesting, Nehemiah's response to that, then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah has very good reasons to be afraid. The main job of anybody who served the king was to make sure the king is happy. And you never wanted to bring sadness into the king's throne. Well, Nehemiah realizes the king could say, and many Persians kings did do this, just on a fluke, they would say, off with your head. This is real deal. This is life and death. And Nehemiah is there, and he realizes, though, that this is it. This is the moment. This is what he's been praying for. But he did have fear. And can I tell you something? Very often, fear is a common response when God calls someone into service. Because God tends to call us beyond what we think we're able, doesn't He? Why? He likes to stretch us and mold us, shape us into the image of Christ. And He often will call you into something that you think, I'm just not the guy for that, or I'm not the woman for that. 
It can be fearful. It can be uncomfortable. But let me tell you something. It's the natural part of the call. The key is will you say yes to the call? Fear should not stop the person of God from moving out in faith to serve God. I don't know if you know this, but God never panics. We shouldn't panic. God's always on the throne. He's always in control. And if He's called you, it's because He knows who you are. He's gifted you for that time, for that purpose, and the ministry that He's calling you to. And also, if you look, it didn't hold Nehemiah back. Look at verse 3. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tomb, it lies desolate and the gates have been consumed with fire? The person who's been called by God is willing to move out even if there's fear. They're willing to say, Lord, I'm uncomfortable, but yes, Lord, I know you've called me to this. And look at Nehemiah. He's very wise in the way he addresses the king. He begins with, King, live forever. This is the way of saying, King, I want the best for you. And then he goes on to say, the truth. He actually speaks truth. He says, why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my fathers, lies in desolates and its gates have been consumed with fire? Now, Nehemiah, he'd been the, the cupbearer to the king, so he had built the trust with the king. The king trusted him. He knew that, that Nehemiah had, had put his life before the king. He was the one who made sure the king was never poisoned, so he had that trust built. But he made sure that he told him absolute truth. He didn't build it up or fake it. He didn't do anything. He just told it the way it was. He doesn't sugarcoat his feelings. But he knows where his help comes from. It's not just him or how he presents it. Look at verse 4. Then the king said to me, what would you request? Look, I love this. So I prayed to the God of heaven. Before Nehemiah moves out and answers the king, he says an arrow prayer. You know, it's a silent prayer. I'm sure you've done it. I know I've done it lots of times. I can't tell you how many times I've been in like a witnessing situation where you're talking to somebody, you're presenting the gospel, so you're talking this way, but you're praying this way, right? They can't see it, but your eyes are wide open. But boy, you're asking God, God, would you change their heart? Would you open the door? Would you allow me to share the word? Give me, give me memory. I, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've prayed that prayer in a counseling situation when things are really difficult. And you're asking God to maybe give you a scripture or something to help you. It just happened this past week. Had someone come and talk to me. They had a major problem. And as they're talking to me, I'm talking to him. And I'm saying, Lord, I need a word, something from your word to share with him. And no kidding, in my devotions that week, I'd been in the Psalms, and the Lord put a book of Psalms, four of them, right there. And I was like, I got something to share with you. And they were perfect for the situation. Arrow prayers. It shows where his heart is. He, he has this attitude of prayer, prayer without ceasing. This is who Nehemiah is. And the king asked a very pointed question, what would you request? And so Nehemiah, he's been actively praying, actively fasting, actively serving. And what we're going to see next, he's been actively planning as well. Now, many of you know Gary and Kelly Yoon. But Gary and Kelly Yoon, there are missionaries to Thailand. And Gary and Kelly Yoon went through the same process that Nehemiah went through. They knew that God was calling them to something. And they understood 
this call was on them. But can I tell you, the call first came to Kelly, the wife. God began to move in Kelly's life in such a way that she felt that God was calling her to serve as a missionary. But she understands the way that God works in a marriage, that, that God has placed that mantle of leadership on the husband. And wherever her husband goes, she knows that she will follow. And so she, Kelly decided to say, I'm going to start praying for my husband. He's put this burden on me, but I'll pray for him. And she never told him. But Lord, if you want us to serve you that way on a mission field, you're going to have to move Gary's heart. I can't tell you how many times I've seen that. God begins to move on the, the wife first. Women tend to be more sensitive to the Spirit of the Lord. And, and the husband kind of shows up, but he's just kind of disinterested. But wives, understand, you've got a great weapon. It's prayer. <laughs> and you've got a powerful God, and He changes hearts. And that's exactly what happened with Gary and Kelly. And he began to move not only on Kelly, but he began to move on Gary's heart. And, and there were three things that happened. First, Gary and Kelly, they began to pray, but they went on a short-term missions trip to Thailand with some of the people here in this church. And it was there that Gary told me, I just spoke to him last week, that God began to move on his heart. It's, it's like he, he knew that he needed to serve the Lord more, but he still wasn't clear on what it was. And then they came back, and a few months later, there was a book study in this church on a book called Radical by David Platt. And basically, the theme of that book is being radical with your faith. Everything is surrendered to the Lord, your life, your money, your will. It's His. Well, that really stirred Gary's heart. And then he went on another missions trip the following year with Pastor Neil to India. It was in India that God spoke to him directly. In private time with the Word of God. God began to move on his heart, and he realized that he was calling them to go and serve them on the mission field, but they still weren't clear where. A few months after that, Gary walks into my office, and he says, okay. He goes, you've been a missionary. He goes, I don't know what to do, but I think God is calling Kelly and I to go on the mission field. What do we do? I don't know. Let's do what Nehemiah did. Let's meet regularly. Let's pray together. And periodically, we'll fast together. And that's exactly what Gary and I did for almost three years until he went on the mission field. Gary wasn't passive when he realized that God was calling him into service. He got active. He began to pray and fast. Can I tell you something? Right after he got called, you know what happened? He became fearful. <laughs> oh, no. God called me to serve. I have no theological training, he said. I don't know how to raise support. I cannot speak the Thai language. I have three kids. Who's going to take care of my kids? So many different things caused fear in Gary and Kelly's heart. But they weren't passive. They began to bring those fears before God. And God began to move. And God loves to call ordinary people like Gary and Kelly, like me and you, like Nehemiah. That when He calls you to serve, it's a move to serve by faith. It's a willingness to get out of that chair and say, yes, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. But would you open that door? And just like Nehemiah, Gary and Kelly not only actively waited, but they began to plan. And that's our second point. Not only do we actively wait, but we actively plan. We actively plan by faith. 
And, and when God's call comes, planning is so important. It helps us be prepared to fulfill the mission that He's called us to. Look at verses 5 through 8. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah in the city of my father's tombs that I may rebuild it. And then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be when you will return? So if it pleases the king, send me. And I gave him a definite time. And I said to the king, if it pleased the king, let letters be given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asva, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the timber to make beams for the gates of the fortress, which is by the temple, and for the wall of the city and for the house to which I will go. And the king, king granted them to me because the good hand of my God was on me. And so four months, Nehemiah has been actively waiting, fasting, praying, serving. He's been waiting for this moment to come, trusting faith. He, he's trusting that God's going to open this door with the king. And he begins with respect to the king. He says, if it pleases the king, it's so important, particularly when you're talking to somebody, if you're witnessing. But here, particularly the king, he begins with respect. He's saying, hey, if it pleases you, king, that means if you tell me yes, then I'll go. If you tell me no, then I'll stay. I believe God even can move your heart because he can move the heart of the kings like channels of rivers. He's saying, king, I, I'll trust that you'll give me the right answer. There's this relationship that's been built there. And based on that trust, he responds to the king. He says, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. And in verse 6, the king responds. Then the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will your journey be? And when will you return? And so it pleased the king to send me, and I gave a definite time. Now, we don't know that definite time. It's not really here in the text. So Nehemiah, he prays for the opportunity, but he also plans for it. And two things happened here. His reply can be summarized two ways. Send me, that's verses 5 and 6, but also give me. Here's where the planning comes in. Look at verses 7 and 8. And I said to the king, if it please the king, let letters given to me for the governors of the provinces beyond the river, that they may allow me to pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asphah, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me the timber to make the beams of the gates for the fortress, which is by the temple, and for the wall of the city, and for the house which I will go. And the king granted to me, because the good hand of my God was on the king. So Nehemiah, he calls... He's called by God into service, and with wisdom he prays, but also with wisdom he planned. And one of the major parts of planning well, if you're a good leader, is you've got to be a goal setter. You've got to set some goals. And Nehemiah, he set goals. What was the goal? Rebuild the walls of the city, restore the gates. And then he thinks through, how long is it going to take me to serve, and what will my commitment be? What are the approvals I'm going to need? What are the supplies that are needed? Careful goal setting is so important when it comes to understanding that God has called you. And you begin to think through, Lord, what do you want me to do? How do you want me to do it? And Nehemiah did all that in those four months. First, he set the goals. Second, he planned out what he would need, what it would take to get the job done. And also, the king asked him, how long? Now, by the way, Nehemiah was governor in that province for 12 years and it seems by chapter 5, verse 14, that he told the king he needed about that time. Let me read that for you. 
Nehemiah 5.14 says, Moreover, from that day that I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah, from the 20th year to the 32nd year of King Artaxerxes, for 12 years, neither I or my kinsmen have eaten from the governor's food. It doesn't say it in verse 2, but it seems to me that it's inferencing from chapter 5 that he may have shared it then. I think it's going to take me a long time. And the king kind of gave him an open-ended opportunity to serve. And he also asked for requisitions and supplies. And by the way, planning is a biblical concept. It's a good thing. And we should plan. As a matter of fact, Jesus spoke about this in the parable in Luke chapter 14. Verses 28 through 30, he says, For which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid the foundation, he is not able to finish. All who observe it began to ridicule him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. When God calls us to serve him, there's waiting, active. And there's planning, active. And then when the call comes, the next thing is going to be what? Obedience. Nagar and Kelly were exactly the same way as Nehemiah. They realized that God was calling them. And when the call of God comes, it, it can come at different times and take different amounts of time to fulfill. For Nehemiah, it was four months. For Gary and Kelly, it took almost three years till they finally ended up on the mission field. But God worked through everything that they would need. And they realized there were a lot of things that needed to take place before they could actually leave America and go to Thailand. Here's a few of them. They'd need a sending organization, someone to come around them and help them understand how to live in Thailand. I recommended they talk to OMF, Overseas Missionary Fellowship. They're very involved in that area. OMF right away snatched them up, said, yeah, we love you guys. And they came around them. They also knew they'd need training and counseling, and OMF helped them with that. They knew they would need prayer. Gary and I met every week for almost three years. He also developed a core team, and they met with Gary and Kelly regularly, and they're still praying for them regularly right now. Kelly had another church that she was part of, a Korean-speaking church. They developed a core team and prayer support for them as well. They needed to raise financial support. Gary worked a full-time job, multiple hours. How was he ever going to be able to, to do this? But God provided the way, and they were able to quit their jobs long before they left. God was faithful. They needed to get acquainted with the Thai culture. So I went with Gary Kelly and their son Stephen to Thailand. We spent 10 days there. We met a multiple different missionaries. We, we had all the Thai food. We started to learn a little bit about the culture. They needed to learn the language. OMF helps them with that and still helping them. They're still learning it four years later. And they had three children. How are they going to care for their children? Two of their oldest were in college at that time. But God opened the door. Their oldest, Kristen, she graduated from college, but she found a good job in San Diego. Middle son, Matt, up in Santa Barbara, he graduated. God opened a door for a good job for him. Matt's taken care of. Their son, Stephen, he just graduated high school right before they left. He decided to take a gap year and went with them on the mission field for a year. And now he's back. He's in San Diego finishing his college degree. God has provided. They set their goals. They planned And God met them. God is faithful when we actively wait and when we actively plan. And I am convinced, guys, I am so convinced that God is calling us as a church to step up and serve. I looked, and nowhere can I find in the Bible that the Bible ever speaks about people that are church attenders. 
People who are in church are actively serving. As a matter of fact, James says this, but prove yourselves to be doers of the word and not merely hearers of the word who delude themselves. As God's people, we are called by Him because the way He's made us to be active in any way that He's made us to serve. For some of you, this is very difficult. You might have a, a medical problem. You have difficulty being active. But do you know we have a, an encouragement ministry where you can send out cards to people? I received dozens and dozens of cards when I was in the hospital, and much of it was through that ministry, and it ministered to me. There are so many ways to serve if you seek the Lord. Two things, actively wait by faith, actively plan by faith, and here's the last one, willingly obey by faith. Willingly obey by faith. Waiting for God's confirmation is so important. Planning is so important. But there comes a time when you have to obey and actually move. Look at verses 9 through 11. Then I came to the governors of the provinces beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent me with officers of the army and horsemen. When Sanballat the Hornite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about it, it was very displeasing to them that someone had come to seek the welfare of the sons of Israel. So I came to Jerusalem, and I was there three days. So verse 9 says, Then I came to the governor and the provinces beyond the river, and I gave them the king's letters. This is him moving out. He obeyed. He waited. He planned. The king said yes. And now he moves out. And he's moving out with these letters that the king gave him. It's opening passage for him. Do you know that, that the clearest evidence of your faith, Jesus says, that you love him is your obedience? Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep, the other word, obey my commandments. And I got to tell you something. God is not that thrilled with moral people. Morality is religion. What thrills God is faith. He wants us to trust Him. Matter of fact, one of the commentators I read said this. He says, many, many think that the greatest evidence of Christian maturity is letting someone get ahead of us in traffic or being kind at work, or having nice families, or being pleasant people and giving money to charity. Unconsciously, we think that our morality rather than faith is what is important to God. But the fact is, there are cults that are more moral acting than you or I, but they do not know God, and they do not please God. But I can tell you what pleases God. It's when you and I exercise faith, and we trust, and we obey. We wait, we plan. But guys, there are times that you've got to say, Lord, I get it. Yes, Lord, I'll obey you and I'll move. And Nehemiah, he willingly knows God's call and he comes to those governors with this letter in hand. His prayers and his planning are paying off. And in addition to the letters, the king also sends officers with army and horsemen. I think this is God's double blessing on him. He didn't ask for it, but the king said, no, I'm going to also give you these officers and these horsemen. It could be he was already made governor. We don't know that. But here he is, this entourage. And when, the, when this official caravan had arrives in Jerusalem, suddenly there are people that are against them. Can I tell you that's also part of when you accept the call? There's going to be resistance. It's a very common part of obedience. When you say, yes, Lord, I will serve you with my heart, the enemy of our soul, man, he does not like that. 
And oftentimes when we say yes, the devil goes into double action. He doesn't want people that will serve him. He's happy if all you do is come to church, funnel in, and funnel out. What he doesn't want to see people do is say, I believe, Lord, to the point of action, serving you with all my heart. There are three enemies named here in chapter 2. Sanballat in chapter 10, I mean, Sanballat in verse 10, Tobiah in verse 10, and also in verse 19, we'll see someone next week by the name of Geshem. And Sanballat was Nehemiah's chief enemy. But what we'll see is that Nehemiah, by the strength of God, is able to overcome any resistance. And I spoke to Gary and Kelly last week, and for the last three and a half years, they've been serving the Lord in Thailand faithfully. They heard the call, and they obeyed. But one thing Gary told me, he says, you never know what you're signing up for until you get there. He said the work in Thailand was a lot harder than he thought. He said that it was just difficult in three areas, one language, two environment, and three culture. The language is brutally hard. And so they've been studying for four years now, and Gary feels just now that he's just beginning to make a dent in understanding the language. The environment, the weather is brutally hot. When we went on our little, little fact-finding mission, we went in the middle of summer. It was 110, 95% humidity. Brutal, brutal. Really hot. And so they've experienced that brutal heat, but also they've experienced some sickness and some other things that comes in when you live in a tropical environment. And the culture is so different than America. We're an individualistic culture. And so even when you present the gospel, you know, we present the gospel, and when people hear it, they go, oh, I see, Jesus wants me to make a, a personal decision. It's, it's about me and Him. But you need to understand that it, it's not an individualistic culture there. It's a shame-based culture. Shame-based is family, friends. And so even though someone might understand the gospel, it's difficult sometimes for them to make that leap because if they accept Jesus, it'll bring shame on their family or their friends. And so oftentimes they'll stop even though they understand. And so they found that the gospel's been different. And so it's been hard. Guys, but it's also been fruitful. God has blessed. And even just in the past year and a half, they've seen six people come to know the Lord. God's been faithful. Very difficult for a, a Thai Buddhist to say yes to Jesus and then actually live for Him. But they've been leading them in Bible studies. They had the privilege to baptize them. And now those Thai Buddhist believers are then reaching out to their families and friends, being faithful. But the way I want to end this message is this. As they said yes and obeyed, God is calling us to say yes and obey. The question that we have to answer is, Will we? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Word of God. And we thank you for the example of Nehemiah. I thank you for the example of Gary and Kelly and, and so many others that we know that just faithfully serve in this church. Lord, I'm grateful to you for your grace and your goodness. Help us now, Lord, as we complete this service. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe that what's happening right now with our church is that God is beginning to lay on the hearts of many of us that there are ways that maybe God wants us to move out in faith. And the reason that He wants me to teach this particular book is because He's already laid on your heart that He wants you to be faithful. And so I want to pray for you that as the Lord has laid on your heart what He's calling you to do, that you would begin to seek Him in prayer.
And if God calls you to, begin to fast. Begin to think through, Lord, what is it you want me to do and how have you made me? Begin to plan. But can I tell you, if you feel like God is calling you, don't procrastinate. Obey. Let's pray. Father, I thank you how you move, how sometimes you give us a burden for something, Lord, which is a call by you. And I pray for those in our congregation right now, Lord, that have been sensing that you're calling them to do something. I pray you would make that clear. Help them, Father, to to pray and seek. Help them, Lord, to plan and think. But also, Lord, I pray that you would give them the courage to obey you. And then bless that step of faith, Father. We pray this in Jesus' name.